Yeah, that's what I, I figure, yeah. <laughs> well, it's great to be here, and um, I'm so thankful to, to have a, a church in, uh, in Cambridge. Uh, I, I work kind of down the street uh, a bit uh, at Akamai, uh, right in Kendall Square. Uh, and so, uh, you know, just from interacting with people uh, in this community and uh, in, my, uh, in, in my workplace, there's there's a deep need uh, for for the gospel and for knowledge about about Jesus and and for him to uh, for him to impact this area, and yet so many in this area um, don't don't feel like any need that they have. Uh, they they things are going well for them, uh, and so they need to be made known of their their need uh, even, and that that's a difficult thing. So I'm I'm super thankful that you have. Uh, we now have a gospel preaching church in East Cambridge, um, and it's it's a wonderful thing. So as Sean said, I'm here with my my family, my wife Megan, uh, my kids Isabel, ten, she's ten, um, uh, Jacob, he is seven, and uh, Caleb, he is five. He's almost uh, almost six years old. I'll be six in December. And then we brought uh, Bailey McLaren in with us um, from the McLaren family. I don't know if anybody knows the McLaren family, but they have been pillars at Crossway Church since since we were first planted 15 years ago. Uh, Mike, uh, her, her father, is a, is a worship leader there and uh, has been wor- leading our worship team and really taught me how to lead worship as well uh, and taught me much. So I'm grateful to the McLaren family and um, thankful for Bailey for uh, joining us today. All right, well, let's get to the message. <laughs> um, so we have Philippians 2, and the title of this message is uh, Sharing in the Mind of Christ. Um, so we, we share the mind of Christ together as Christians, um, but this isn't primarily a message about how to bring Christ to unbelievers, but I, I hope that you will make the connections about how sharing in the mind of Christ um, opens doors to sharing with, with unbelievers. <clears throat> so, um, so starting, I want to share an illustration. You know, in, in verse 2, it talks about um, how we share the same mind, and we are of one mind. And then again, in verse 5, uh, we, we see, have this mind. You know, how, how great would it be um, to completely share a mind? You know, I, I wouldn't need to preach the sermon I could just, you know, share my mind with you. Bam. Done. You know, it's like the Matrix. You just download it. Bam. Um, in Star Trek, you know, there's the Vulcan mind meld where Spock would, like, grab a guy's face and, you know, my mind to your mind. My thoughts to your thoughts. And then, then you know, the guy, you know, he communicate all the things that he need in, you know, a split second. Um, and, you know, Spock could use this to help the guy in some way or communicate something that he needed to communicate. And it all happened, you know, faster than you could communicate. Uh, but maybe, maybe you're more of a Star Wars fan. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go that. Jedi mind trick. <laughs> Similar. Uh, where Obi-Wan, you know, he'd wave his, his, his hand. These aren't the droids you're looking for. These aren't the droids we're looking for, you know. <laughs> the stormtrooper just accepts it immediately. You know, wouldn't life be easier, wouldn't, be, wouldn't living as a Christian be easier if Jesus would just kind of mind meld with us and he'd, he'd, he'd tell us all the things we need in a split second and we'd 
we'd know it. Maybe it wouldn't be so difficult trying to be like Jesus. But as we, as we have read, we, we found out that, in fact, we do share this mind of Christ. It's something that we already possess. Let me pray for you as, as we get into this passage and ask God to, to, to just minister to us through his spirit and through the word. Father, we, we thank you again, Lord, and we uh, cannot pray enough, Lord, to, to, uh, to ask for things, Lord, but you're a, a wonderful Father who gives to us. And Jesus, we thank you for sharing your mind with us, that we possess this in, in Christ, and we possess this because you have made us born again by your Spirit, Lord. I ask that you would... Let this sharing of your mind take hold and let it change us and let us be more like you, Lord, today. Lord, would we not leave here unchanged, but Lord, would your spirit affect us so that on Monday we're changed and on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and for this month, Lord, would we be changed for the better, more and more like you. And we cannot do this without your spirit. So give us your spirit and pour out your spirit today as I preach, Lord. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we want to share in the mind of Christ, um, yeah, we don't need a Vulcan mind melt. Uh, we already have the Holy Spirit. Uh, we already have the mind of Christ by virtue of being born again. The question is, will we reflect this in our daily lives? How, how do we do this? How do we share Christ's mind? Because I, I know my own mind. It's not like Christ. I want it to be like Christ, but it's not quite there. So this is how I would summarize this passage. Is that have, have unity in love by serving one another in humility as Christ did. So have unity and love by serving one another in humility as Christ did. You know, unity and love are things that everybody wants. People want to be with others who share the same vision, who share similar interests or have similar backgrounds. Everyone wants to be part of a well-functioning family. Everyone wants to be loved. And who, who in this world doesn't want to be loved? Who, who doesn't want to be part of something? It's a deep desire that we all share. Because God created us to be in unity with him. And God created us to be, to be loved and to love one another. Uh, the question is, how, how do we get this? How do we achieve unity and love? At Trinity Cambridge Church, specifically, how do you have unity and love as a church family? Well, uh, right in verse 2, my first point be of the same mind and the same love. It's right there in the text. Verse 1 and 2. Be of the same mind and the same love. Paul, Paul doesn't mean for us to be like cookie cutters, uh, you know, duplicates of each other, or that we just kind of fall in line in military fashion or taking orders without question, saying yes, sir, at every command. That's not what he's saying. And we're not to be, you know, brainwashing our minds like a cult or something or like the Vulcan mind mouths. We're different. So, so if that's not what he means by the same mind, what, what does he mean? 
Well, first, let, you know, let's start with why Paul is exhorting the church to have the same mind and the same love. And then we can understand the, the what. So a little background of the church at Philippi. And I have to credit my, my father, Mike Roca Sr. He's, he's part of our, our church down there. And he did this research uh, for me. Um, and it, uh, it really illuminated for me uh, why Paul is exhorting this church in particular um, because there's some history. You know what? The first, the first three converts of the Church of Philippi were Lydia, who was a, a trader of purple cloth, a slave girl, um, and a Roman jailer. So they were all different nationalities. Lydia was Asian, from, from Asia Minor. The, the slave girl was a native Greek, and the jailer was a Roman citizen. They were all different religions uh, before coming to Christ. Lydia had a background in mysticism, um, but she was a proselyte of, of Judaism. The slave girl was uh, Greek, so she had all their religion and, and all the, the temples and idols and all the sorts of gods in the Greek pantheon. And then the Roman jailer was likely a product of the kind of governmental worship of the, of the Caesars. And so three very different people brought into unity in Christ. And, you know, we, we don't know what the makeup of the rest of the church was like, but it's, it's pretty certain it was a great mix of people from all different kinds of backgrounds and nationalities and walks of life and previous religions that they came, all different ideas, different cultures. Paul shares this exhortation to be of one mind because of the different backgrounds, but more importantly, to preserve their mission in the gospel. So now on to the what. Let's read verse 1 and 2 again. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul writes a lot of ifs here. But you know what? Paul doesn't doubt that these things are present. He wants the reader to examine if these things are in the church. So the readers ask the question. You are asked the question. Is there any encouragement in Christ at Trinity? Is there, is there any comfort from love in your church family? Is there any, any participation in the Spirit here? Any affection and sympathy and of course, if you're in Christ, if you're part of his church, these things are certainly present. No one, no one, no Christian who's part of a church can say that these things are not, that none of these things are present. And so he's emphatically saying, these things are present, and therefore, then be united in Christ. If there's encouragement in Christ, be of the same mind. If there's participation in the Spirit, have the same love. And at Trinity, you've, you've been united as a church plant with a shared mission to reach Cambridge with the gospel. You know, but, but this might not always be the case. You're, you're, you're young in this. Um, and so we must not be complacent in this. That we've enjoyed, you've enjoyed unity thus far. Uh, you, you've joined together for, and, and made a, a lot of sacrifices, some of you. And, and you've joined for this gospel mission. But you can't be complacent because it's not, maybe not be so easy to be united. You have to strive together for unity in Christ. 
You notice, notice how much Paul emphasizes this. Verse 2, the same mind, the same love, full accord, one mind. He's saying this over and over and over. Why does he say that? Not because you think you'll, you'll forget, but to emphasize the same mind, the same love. This unity, being of the same mind, it's, yes, being in harmony with one another, but more than that, it's the sharing of the same mind for the same mission. And this doesn't mean that there's no disagreements whatsoever, but that you maybe bring your disagreements with humility and you support whatever decisions your pastors make or your leader makes. Or at times, maybe you don't even bring your, you don't even voice your disagreement because you know it would be unhelpful uh, and distract from in the unity of the mission. Those are things, you've got to work out these and, and you have to work them out with humility. And you have to bring your disagreements and differences of opinion with humility and hold them uh, not with a firm grip, but as a soft grip and, and being helpful for one another. So what is this mission? What's the mindset we're supposed to share? You know, I looked on, on your website. Trinity Cambridge Church, his mission is very similar to Crossways. Love God, love one another, share the love of Christ with others. That, that's what it says. Is, is that true about you? Is that, is that your mission? To, to love God, love one another, and share the love of Christ with others? That's simply the gospel mission, to glorify God by, by praising Him, living worthy lives, encouraging one another, and telling others about Jesus. Now, if we're, if we're going to fight against the world and win, then we must be united. An, an army which fights uh, itself and is in disunity is an army that will lose the battle. You know, and our enemy, the devil... He wants us to get upset about things. He wants us to battle against our Christian brothers and sisters because it distracts from our mission. It distracts from the gospel, from sharing the good news of Christ, from worshiping him, from loving one another, and from being the church that you're supposed to be. Okay, so we're supposed to share the same mind, share the same love, and supposed to have this mission but how do we do this? You know, how do we have the same mind and the same love? Paul answers it. Through humility and serving one another. That's my second point. Serve one another in humility. Verses 3 to 4. Serve one another in humility. Serving itself is hum- humble. But he's saying serve one another in humility. That's a, it's a combined force. Double the humility. <laughs> Paul gives some very plain words to help us here. Verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. You know, say you... You really want to teach, or um, you want to start a homeless outreach, or you want to become a pastor, or, or that Trinity Cambridge would do X or do Y. And, and whatever your hope is, uh, bring that up to somebody, maybe to, to Sean or to, to other leaders, or, and, and maybe you're told wait or, or no even. You know, is, is your reaction to, 
to get upset, is, is to have hard thoughts about the person that says no or wait. You know, it's a good time to ask, you know, what's my motivation? Is it, is it to love others or, or is it my own selfish ambition? Am I, am I overconfident in my own abilities? Am I being impatient, maybe? Do, do I think I know better than others? You know, all the, all the desires that I, I mentioned, these are, these are good desires. It's good to want to do these things. Or whatever your hope is that, that Trinity would, would get into and Trinity would do and, and how, how you would reach the lost in Cambridge. Those, those are great desires. But don't let them become idols. Don't, don't let the door open for the devil to come in and cause disunity or lack of love with each other. Um, or at your workplace. You know what? This applies there too. Do you, do you insist on your own way? Or are you, are you listening to others' input and ideas? Do you make decisions to further your own career or what's best for the work itself, what's best for the company and for its customers? Now, of course, in, in the workplace, you're not sharing the same mind unless, unless you're maybe a pastor. You should all share in the same mind and the same mission. Um, or you work at a church or with, work with other Christians. But most of us work with... Uh, a bunch of non-Christians. And so we, we don't share the same mind. And yet you can still humbly serve them. What, what non-Christian is, is going to dislike the fact that you're humbly serving them, looking to their interests above your own? I mean, that, that is a way to bring them the gospel, show the gospel to them um, by being humble. So Paul tells us, verse 3, In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. If you humble yourself, if you count others more significant than yourself, you will promote that unity. You'll be able to focus on the mission of the gospel. You'll have love for one another. When you serve somebody, and it actually helps them, I think your, your love for them grows. And hopefully their love for you grows as well. Paul continues, verse four. Let each of, of you not let each of you look not only to your, his own interests, but also the interests of others. Verse three and four really are parallels; they go together. Paul's emphasizing this point again. The way to preserve the unity of the mindset of our mission is to humble yourself and to serve one another, to consider others more important than yourself. How many of us actually do that? Our tendency is to be self-centered, not even aware of the interests and needs of, of others. And so we, we, can, we can see this passage and we say, oh yeah, I want to serve others. I don't want to look to the others, other interests. And when I'm mindful of it, yeah, I, I can do that by, by the power of the Holy Spirit and by, by Christ helping me. But so often I'm not even aware. I'm not thinking of others first. I'm thinking of, of my own. And it's subtle. I'm, it's not like I'm actively, oh yeah, i got to think of myself first. No, I'm, that's just our natural uh, sinful tendencies to think of ourselves first. And to not even be conscious that we are being self-centered. It takes work to think of others first and to put others first. And so this does not necessarily come naturally to us. We have to work at this. So um, the way to preserve 
the unity of, of the mindset of our, of our mission is, is to humble ourselves, to serve one another. So, <clears throat> in here, whatever sphere of life we're in, let's not bring a critical spirit, but a, a humble one. So if you have criticism or other ideas, maybe we should do this differently, you know, ask questions first. Maybe there's a reason that things, you know, people do this this way or people do it this way. You know, offer your opinions humbly. Be, be apt to encourage rather than, than to criticize. So if you're going to offer criticism that you feel is, you know, is needed or a difference of opinion, you know, have you first offered encouragement to that, to that person? Have you, have you offered encouragement regularly to the people around you, both in church and other spheres of life, in your workplace or at home? Do you regularly encourage your family members, your friends, your worker, your, the, the people in your workplace, whether it's your boss or peers or uh, people that work for you? You know, somebody, somebody who's heard your encouragement ten times and your criticism one time is going to be far more likely to listen to your criticism anyway. They're, they're, they're going to know that you're not just uh, against them, but that you, that you seek to serve them. And in, and in church, they will know that you love them. So, and this encouragement, it's not just like, okay, I got to, you know, tally, okay, encouragement, oh, one, two, three, oh, three more times, and then I can bring this criticism. <laughs> no, no, it, it, we want to have a heart that is apt to encourage. And it's, again, it's not a natural thing. And, and sometimes you kind of have to get past um, maybe hard thoughts you have against somebody, somebody that maybe you don't get along with that well. But you know what? If, if there is grace, and there is grace, you can encourage them. Find something to encourage them about. Um, I'm getting off script here, but I'm going to do this anyway. Uh, in, in marriages, um, marriages that are struggling, um, often the, the husband and wife cannot find anything nice to say about each other. And that is a real source, it's a real indication that there is bitterness there. If you cannot find something nice and encouraging to say about another person, your heart is, is sinning. There is something to encourage you. I, <laughs> and, 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 in, and in counseling, I hope they, they will be taken back. You know, when, when you first met each other, when you first loved each other, what did you like about each other? Recall for them history. And you remember, oh, yeah, this and this and this. And, uh, and, and that softens the heart for both. For, for both the one giving the encouragement and the one receiving the encouragement. And so if there is any bitterness between you and a coworker or you and another church member, go and encourage them. Find something to encourage them about. You will soften both your own heart and their heart. But you know what? We're, we're sinners. How do, how do we even have a hope of doing this? How, you know, I know my own heart. I'm selfish. Uh, I seek my own good. Uh, I am, I'm a prideful person. How do I have love? How do I serve others humbly? 
Sometimes I'm not even aware of my own pride. Well, we look to Christ as our example and provision for this. This is my third and final point. Look to Christ as our example and provision for this. Verse 5 to 11. Not only is Jesus our example in humility and serving others, but look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This mind, this unity uh, in love is ours. We already possess it if we are in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, you have this mind. And Paul does something interesting here from verse 6 to 11. It's really a poem here. You might not see it because it's, you know, it's English translated, and, um, but it's beautiful. And I, and I don't show this because I, I just love poetry. I like poetry, but, you know. Um, but it's, it's supposed to highlight something. You're supposed to, to think about it. You're supposed to read it and reread it. And in Greek, it even rhymes in places. <laughs> so here's the poem, and I'll read it. You can listen. This is different than the text you have. Um, But this is the best rendering that I, I found in English. So, Jesus, who in the form of God existing, not an advantage considered, his being equal with God. But nothing he made himself, the form of a servant adopting in the likeness of men becoming. And in appearance being found as man, he humbled himself becoming obedient to death and death of a cross. Therefore also exalted him God and granted him the name that's above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee may bow of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue may confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to God the Father's glory. It's a beautiful picture of Christ and what he has done. And again, you have this mind in Christ. It's yours. Jesus, he's a stunning example of humility, unlike anything the world has ever known. And it's yours. You have this mind. Verse 6, Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The attitude of Jesus in this is astounding humility, and it puts our pride to shame. You know, who, who are you when you think about this? You know, maybe you're the owner of a successful business, or, or you're a faithful father and pillar of the church, or you're, you're the wife who actually keeps things going together at the home. Or maybe you're, you're young, but you're smart. You've got your whole life ahead of you, uh, and so you need to get ahead now. You need to grasp some opportunities here. But here's the question for you. Is is who you are and does what you do give you reason to have an important position with others? Jesus, he had the most important position imaginable. The Son of God, equal with God the Father in all ways, and being God himself as part of the Trinity. And yet what did Jesus do? Verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We could talk all day about theology, about what this specifically means. 
But that's not the point here. This isn't a theological treatise about the nature of Christ becoming man. This is an encouragement to us in Christ's humbling of himself. You know, this is different than our humbling. Our humbling is so that we don't falsely think of ourselves too highly. Jesus' humbling is from him giving up his right of high exaltation. Our, our humbling is so that we don't think too falsely of ourselves, too highly of ourselves. Jesus' humbling, it was unlike anything else. His humbling, he, he became a man rather than his right of highly exalted. He's the highest. You could not exalt him more. And this, this step itself is great, that Jesus couldn't could condescend to become human, become a mere man, but it goes further than that. In his entire life on earth, he was a servant. You remember what he did. You know, you remember that he, he did. He, he, he healed and he performed miracles, but he washed feet. He was a humble servant. More so... His entire purpose for descending to become man was to serve us. Verse 8. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So for Jesus, all-powerful, infinite God, the ageless one, all-knowing, omnipresent one, for him to become a finite man with all the limitations that that comes with, That was a tremendous act of humility. But it went far beyond, to the point of death. Not just death, but the worst and most disgusting and shameful kind of death at the time. Death on a cross. This was thought of as a curse. It's like being in the electric chair here in our time. It's a humiliating death. Why would he do this? It's all to make a way for people who loved him. No, no, they didn't love him. It was for people who rejected him, a people who abandoned him and who denied him. And we were just the same before Jesus gave us his spirit and his mind. Christ died to save sinners like you and me, so that we could be fully and completely forgiven, so that we could join in this mission to glorify his Father, to preach the gospel of forgiveness. And you know what? We have this mind in Christ. Like Christ, we're brought low. Like Christ, we're to serve others. Like Christ, we'll be rejected and we will be denied and we will be abandoned. Like Christ, we will suffer for the gospel. Like Christ, we are to be humble. And you will see that like Christ, we will be raised up. Verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name Jesus was brought low in humiliation, and on him was placed a disgusting sin of every person, past, present, and future, who are a part of the family of God. But the Father has raised him up, and his majesty has been restored. But even more so, the glory of salvation now shines bright, emanating from Jesus, so that his name is above every name now. Verse 10. 
so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See what it says there? Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. That question is, will that knee bow and will that tongue confess? Is it going to be in terror or in love? I've been addressing Christians in the room. I don't know if all of you know Christ. I don't know if you think of him as your Savior. You're not sure what what he's all about, what, what Jesus is, if he's real or not. But if you're not sure, you know what? You're still going to meet him one day. And if you don't know him, if you haven't asked him for forgiveness, you know, instead of being exalted with him, you'll meet him in terror because you will realize that this is serious and sin is serious. And sin is worthy of death. Sin is worthy of hell. And it's the just punishment for sin. And I don't want you to experience that. Jesus doesn't want you to either. And we approach Jesus in the same way, both Christian and non-Christian. If we humble ourselves before him, We ask him to forgive us for our sin. He's faithful to forgive us because Christ took all of our sin on the cross. You don't have to earn God's favor. You don't have to be good enough to earn God's love because that that equation doesn't work out. There's no amount of good that you can do to make up for the wrong and the sin that you've done. And so go before him humbly. Ask him for forgiveness. And humbly bowing yourself to him, becoming humble before Jesus, he will raise you up so that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and that people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language, Jesus, they will confess Jesus is Lord. You can be among them. It's going to be the most glorious celebration the universe has ever seen. You know, think about the best day that you've had. Heaven's going to be far better, a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times better than your best day you've ever experienced here. You know, I, I don't know if you've experienced a wonderful time during, during worship where we sing, and um, maybe, you, maybe you go to a, a you know, <clears throat> a conference where there's just a big band, and it's wonderful, and you just experience this maybe even euphoria uh, during, during worship. And you have that experience, and it's wonderful. That's just a taste. It's a tiny little glimpse of heaven, what heaven's going to be like. Heaven's going to be so much better. You ever had, you know, just perfectly cooked bacon, man? Oh, so good. You know, there's going to be feasts in heaven. I, I don't know how it's all going to work out, but it says there's feasts in heaven. It's going to be better than any Thanksgiving that you've had with your family The food is going to be so much better. You know why it's going to be better? Jesus is going to be there. He's going to be there in everything, through everything. And you're not going to care about those little details because Jesus is present. 
So you humble yourself now. You'll be exalted then. And by then, he will perfect us that we no longer sin. So for now, like in our baptism, we've got to die to ourselves. We, We have to die to sin. We must become servants of one another. We must be humbled. We must suffer like Jesus did. And on that last day, we will all be exalted with him. Listen, I, I know you're weary. Uh, you, have, you have busy lives. Um, you have many responsibilities. But the question for you from this text is will you serve one another? Will you lay down your life for one another? Will you have the, the same mind and the same love? Will you be humble? Will you first look to the interests of others rather than to your own? You know, whether the call is for serving with your time or your efforts, your skills or your money, will you be a servant? Will you sacrifice for others? If Trinity Cambridge is going to be a church that has the mind of Christ, you have to be active in serving one another. And I know I'm not saying this because you're not doing this, but I'm saying this because we need to be reminded to serve one another. And we need to increase our serving of one another. Think about Christ. You know, he, he didn't have like a limit of, of serving that he, that he could do. He certainly took time alone to be with God. Well, that's a good thing, a good and godly thing that we, need, we all must do to spend time with God alone, uh, studying our Bibles, praying, those kinds of things. But there was no maximum of his service when he was here. He went all the way to the cross, died on the cross, humiliation, And so for like us, there should be no maximum of serving. That doesn't mean you need to, you know, uh, neglect your kids and, you know, uh, go out and and serve every day at, at the food pantry or something like that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that in everything that you do, serve one another. Maybe there are extra things that you can do and go and, you know, serve at some, uh, some mission. But what I'm talking about is serving one another in what you're already doing. Encouraging one another. Sometimes it takes sacrifice. Sometimes it takes an increase of how you are serving or what you are serving with. And there will be times, you know, when you don't see eye to eye with your fellow Christian. And that is a time to be humble, to listen, to listen instead of assuming that you have the answer, to recognize that even though, you, you know, I experience this, <laughs> even, even when you think you're being humble, you're actually being proud our pride has a, a strange way of tricking us into thinking that we're actually being humble. I, I remember, oh man, I was in college. I, I was such, I had, I had a friend tell me, a good friend tell me, she, she said, you are the most arrogant and prideful person I know. <laughs> and you know what? She, yeah, I, at first I denied it. But you know what? She was right. I probably was the most prideful and, and arrogant person she knew. I, I needed to be humbled. And, and I was a Christian at the time. I wanted to be a pastor at the time. But it took that. And, and just, I received it, you know, eventually. And, and, and thought, you know what? Even though I think I'm being humble, I'm not. I'm far from it. So pride has a way of just tricking us into thinking that we're actually being humble. 
hum- humility, we serve others. We think highly of each other oh, over ourselves. The last question for you. <clears throat> All right, two more questions. <laughs> Will you be a servant at your workplace, putting their interests over your own, working hard for the glory of God, working humbly like Christ did, not, not building a name for yourself, but building for the kingdom of God, even in your Monday, mundane job on Monday? Will you serve others at your workplace? And moms, I know you already serve your husbands and your children if you're working at home. Uh, increase in that more. Encourage them. Uh, take things from your husband if you can. And if you're a child or a student, that is your work. Put your efforts into your work and your studying and your schooling. And my last question. There, there are people sitting next to you, maybe even today. They need encouragement. Will you make the effort to humble yourself and be a servant to care for them and offer encouragement? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Jesus, we thank you so much for your mind, that we get to share in your mind, in your humble service to us. It is amazing that you humbled yourself to become a man. It's even more amazing that you were a servant as a man and that you died for us. Jesus, help us to be like you. Help us to serve others. Help us to have that same mind and that same love And have a unity in the gospel to proclaim what you have done for us. So that your name would be glorified. So that your name would be above every name. And that would bring glory to your Father. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.